Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. I believe my partner has narcissistic personality disorder and is a sex addict. It's been really affecting me deeply. All the gaslighting and confusion is just intolerable, but I can see, um, I also see my participation as I have trauma and I want to control the dynamic. We are not married, not, nor even exclusive. He wants to keep it vague, but it's probably both of us. How can I walk away forever? I feel it will kill me if I don't, because it's severely impacting my life. I am in multiple programs. I know I need support. But do you have any thoughts on about how I can get out of this? That is challenging. Well, I want to start with the first one, which is that um, I've worked in this field for 30 years. I've seen maybe a thousand men. And I can tell you that full on narcissistic personality disorder, I may have seen five. And most of them are not particularly functional in their lives. It is a really profound we throw kinds of terms around all the time. She's crazy. She got, you know, she's bipolar, whatever it is. This is a very serious diagnosis. And so what Tammy said before, and I want to refer to it, is that people who are addicts are by nature narcissistic. Because if my focus is what I want, when I want it, and I don't care about anybody else, and I'll lie and I'll cheat and I'll gaslight to get what I want, that's every addict I've ever met. Whether they're looking for drugs or looking for sex, or it's just like, how can I ignore you and your feelings? By the way, uh, addicts are not particularly empathic just like narcissists. So addicts will say, um, we'll talk ourselves out of anything that, uh, we'll talk ourselves out of empathy. We often don't have empathy. So my point is an active addict and all the stuff you're explaining is part of active addiction. So I don't think, don't know, but I think narcissistic personality disorder would not be the first place I would go. The way I would look at it is that every addict has narcissistic traits, and I tend to hook up with narcissistic people, and they get worse when you're dealing with an addict. Lots of people have narcissistic traits, strong ones, and ones that run off the rails when they're addicts, but that doesn't mean that they have a profound mental disorder. The other thing, boy, Tammy, I want to do a little tough love here, if you don't mind. Please. Um, Because... What I hear, I don't want to be with him. It'll kill me if I'm not with him, but it's severely uh, acting. Uh, well, let me say, it's, it's both of us. How can I walk away forever? It will kill me if I don't, because it's severely impacting in my life. So just notice what you said. If, I, if the doctor told me if I kept running because I have a heart problem, I was going to drop dead, I probably would stop running because I didn't want to die. And so what you're saying, and I believe you, is that this is going to kill you, at least emotionally. So look look at the comparison. How is it that you're telling yourself that psychologically you're going to die and you've chosen to die on this particular hill? Um, I'm in multiple programs. I need support. So this is where I I do tough love. I think the next piece is that I'm acknowledging my love addiction. I don't know what to do. I think that might be tied to this. I'm not 100% sure, but I'd like you to also tie in what love addiction is. But this person, if it's the same person, also said, I'm in multiple programs. So if you are in SLAA, you are talking about this. And obviously, I don't mean to be obvious, but obviously you have a problem with staying attached to people who are broken and will hurt you. And I can't think of a better place than SLAA. Um, 
you said you're in multiple programs and that kind of concerns me a little bit because you can only if let's say you're sober in AA for a while and you go to three meetings a week, maybe you could cut back on that a little bit to focus more on this. It's very hard to go to two meetings of this and two meetings of that and have three sponsors. And that's crazy making. Tammy's nodding her head. So I want you to say something about that. And then I'm going to say my last one. What what were you thinking about that? Tammy? Well, yeah, ideally having a person who really knows you, because it's also easy to tell my S sponsor this and tell my right. AA sponsor that. And then you get kudos and all that and you get conflicting information. So one person where you're transparent. Um, but I also don't hear that you're working with a qualified professional. So both of those pieces. I just want to add. So this is my tough love. If you wanted to give this up, you would. You would do it. And I'm going to show you my tough love. Let's see if I can get it in the picture. So, mm -hmm. Tammy, you know what? Ask me to try to mm -hmm. drop the pen. Can you try to drop the pen? Try to drop the pen, Rob. Dr. Rob, please drop the pen. Try, try, harder? try, try, try. Try harder. harder. You can okay. do it. Now. Dr. Rob, you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Drop the pen. Drop the pen. I want to do it. I want to drop the pen. I know You're it's not bad. You're not trying. You're not trying. I'm trying. Okay, now. Tell me. Dr. Rob. Drop the pen. Be willing to drop the pen. There you go. It's just that. And I know it's not an option to say, I don't know how, I can't. You have to find a way to stop. And by the way, there are people in 12-step programs that will give, they will do couch duty with you. You can sit and sleep on their couch or they will stay in your home. They can help you. I'll say one more thing. I love this, Tammy, and I hated it. I went to take a chip at an S meeting not that long ago. And there was a gentleman sitting across from me and he was talking about, you know, he shared and he said, I am really struggling. And I said, yeah, I didn't say anything. He, sorry, I was listening. And he said, you know, this woman, I'm so obsessed with her and she's all I can think about. And I... I'm worried, I'm constantly worried she's gonna call or text or what do I do? And what if, you know, and I'm thinking block her phone number, block her email, block, you know, her text. You can do it if you are willing. You don't have to try, you can take little steps. You know, I don't wanna to talk to you, I'm not gonna to talk to you, block this, block that. He's gonna to have to come to your house and knock on the door. Um, and you can change your locks. So it's really about, to me, it's about willingness. Tammy said this before. How willing are you to start to take the steps? Not think about them, not worry. Or I guess I'll say one more thing. The idea of doing something that makes you anxious is always worth an act, worse than actually doing it. Um, the fear of, oh, what's going to happen if I do this? And what's going to happen? And what if I hang out with those people? And what if, what if? When you actually do it, it's not that bad. And maybe you need to start doing and not thinking. Worry less, do more. Drop the damn pen. Excuse my language, but this isn't impossible. You can start a little piece at a time, but you need a lot of support. You may need a sponsor call or therapist. I, I, I cut off the phone today and I want to kill my... Okay, what are you going to do tomorrow? Um, yeah, so that's my thought. And I don't mean to be mean, but, you know, get your butt to work. You're kind of, oh, I can't do this. And I don't know about that. And what am I going to do about this? It's like, just get to work because um, it's not impossible. It just takes steps, not thinking, not reminiscing. It takes actually doing things. Um, and you know that from your other programs. So, oh, by the way, one more thing. Chips don't transfer for you 12-step people. Your chips don't transfer. So you can say. I love that. I, I just smiled it. No, I said, I love that. I have not heard that before. Go for it. 
Well, it's just that people go into uh, SLAA and they say, well, I've been going to AA for 15 years and I know these steps and I've sponsored people. It's like, well, but you're a beginner now because this is a different issue and you have to start all over again at the start. You know, it's like saying, I know how, how to ride horses, so I'm going to start driving a car. You need to learn how to drive the car. So um, don't expect that the knowledge, experience, and information you have from your other programs is going to necessarily be of use here. What is useful is knowing how to ask people to sponsor you, being comfortable at a meeting, knowing what a share is, knowing the literature. But the, but the change you're trying to make is not going to come out of AA or other programs that you've worked because those are for those issues. Um, yeah. I like what having a three circle plan about having a three circle plan about all of the issues so that you're aware of all of them and have one plan, not 16 different plans um, is really helpful, too. So um, I, I put a, a in the chat, I put Gavin, uh, Gavin Sharp did a great webinar on boundaries for addicts and why we all need healthy boundaries. We talk all the time about this for betrayed partners, you know, uh, um, that you need healthy boundaries because you value you. And what Dr. Rob was saying is you're not valuing you. You're, you're going, it may kill me, but I'm going to stay in this. One more thing. Um, I hope you've learned in your recovery programs to be of service. The more we're out of ourselves and serving others and helping, you know, we, we kind of forget about ourselves, you know, but if all I am doing is focusing on the problem, which is the relationship and the person, guess what? My focus is down here on that nice. and I'm missing all of that's this other true. stuff that's really good. So, so I would invite you to get out of yourself and, um, and do service work, you know, uh, for others. But really, if you are not working with a qualified professional, please, you know, with, with multiple problematic behaviors, you know, getting a plan um, that you can, you know, because it's a do something, but it's also have a plan so that you can be successful doing. And I want to add one more thing. Accountability mm -hmm. in this oh. situation is essential that I, I want to call, but I, but my sponsor or my therapist I have to tell them if I call. So it isn't just me alone making this call or reaching out. I am accountable to other people in order to, if I do this, I can do it, but I'm going to have to tell somebody else and they're going to say, well, that didn't go very well. We'll have to review the whole thing all over again. So, you know, one of the things that I've learned to do is I keep my, well, I'm not therapy right now. I used to keep my therapist in my head and I would say, if I, if my therapist saw me doing this, what would they say? And the answer usually came back you know, with something I didn't want to do. Um, so what do we got? Okay, next one. I was wondering today if it's possible to become addicted to friendships the way a, a sex addict is addicted to sex. If you have a friend you are obsessed with and want to please, is that a bad thing as being as that as bad as being in a sexual relationship you're obsessed with? I'm just curious. This doesn't apply to me anymore. It did in the past, but I'm very interdependent now and not reliant on one person as a friend anymore. Hmm, that's well thought out. Well, I don't know about addicted to. Um, I, I don't. I don't believe people are addicted to people. I just don't believe that. I think people are are addicted to get very addicted to behaviors and situations that rise that leave them feeling all this intensity. Um, I don't know the answer to your question. I can only speak more personally than professionally, which is when I was a lonely person, and I made a friend. Oh my God, there were everything I wanted to do. Things I wanted to go out. I wanted to, especially and when I was younger, like in in college and I didn't have a lot of friends, boy, one person was just like, and I would drive them crazy. 
Um, and I think you answered your question in some ways, which is to have different needs met by different people in different situations is healthy. One of the things I'm going to move to marriage now, this comes up a lot, is I go to my wife for everything. I go to my husband for everything. And I understand that in, in terms of, a, you know, what marriage relationships are. But one of the things that we lose in that is when we're struggling, like with addiction, we don't have anyone to turn to. And so one of the things that addiction recovery does is it takes my obsession on this one person or this one set. But no way I by the way, notice I use the word obsession and not the word addicted, because I think so what happens we get obsessed with people. By the way, we also get obsessed with someone's drinking. We get obsessed with that. We're obsessed with their behavior, not the person. Anyway, I can understand in a relationship where that's all you got. You know, what are you going to turn to when it's not working out? A lot of sex addicts go act out when their relationships aren't working. So I agree just for everybody that we need to be, we have addicts strong dependency needs. A lot of our needs growing up were not met. That's how we ended up here. And if I place all my needs on one person, I am going to obsess. I am going to lose my mind because my mood and how I feel is so dependent on them. So yes, I think people are broken, people are lonely, people have vulnerabilities. They may be focused on the obsession of one person. And the way out is what you said, which is to find different people for different experiences so that you can spread out those needs and get them met by different people in different ways. But that's more personal than professional. I don't know, Tammy, anything you want to add? I, I know, know you're I, obsessed I mean, with our friendship. I know yeah. you're obsessed with our friendship. So. <gasps> I'm all, I'm, I was thinking, you know, thank God I have a lot of friends because, you know, I would be a a lot for my husband to have to deal with you know on by himself no I am like I get it I'm you know so so you know he appreciates that you know I have different places to go and you know 12 step. I, right. I was thinking because I was in a in my meeting the other day my my personal 12 step somebody was sharing and I'll keep it really general but they were talking about like they're so concerned about other people liking them and um, I, you know, I shared with this person as I was leaving, I said, you know, uh, first of all, I gave her a hug. And second of all, I said, you know, like I need to be me. And if people like me, that's fine. If they don't, that's fine too. And right. so, so being our true selves and what I kind of feel like is as you've done the work, you found who you are. And so then people can, um, gravitate to you in different ways. And, but you can have that circle of friends and be interdependent and that's a, an amazing thing i mean that's, me, that's the real gift of of uh recovery is you know but i can be my authentic self i don't have to pretend i don't have to be one person for this person and this you know i i don't have to because that's what we were in addiction is the facade of people so that they would like us or we didn't care whatever however it showed up for us so but i'm i'm you know i i hear that you've made lots of progress and that's amazing um, I want to just answer. I'm typing something in now as well. Okay. Um, and what I'm typing in is a, a, um, a definition for interdependence, because this is the goal. This is a huge goal for recovery is how do we not be overly dependent and yet completely separate? How do we come together and depend on each other and then move apart and then move back together? How can we interdependent? Because 
dependency has gotten a bad name. Maybe codependency has been a part of that. And as everybody knows, I'm very pro-dependency, but I'm not pro-unhealthy dependency. I am in favor of us leaning on each other when we need the strength of another person or some skill they have, and then going out and using that on our own in the world. That's interdependence. Um, so anyway, that is our goal. Lots of books written about that great word. Um, mm -hmm. What we got, Tammy? As the male porn addict who is struggling to maintain sobriety only 20 days now, when I've been in SA 12 step for 14 months, what do I do when I think I'm telling the truth, but my female betrayed partner does not believe me and they keep telling me that I am lying and gaslighting them? Do I just agree well, with her to not rock the boat? That's the question. Number one. I wrote a book about this. We teach a course about this. Read it, take it. No man I've ever worked with fully understand how to come, to, how to help their partner come to peace with what they've done. We don't understand how to do that. I wrote a book for all men who cheat. I gave a course for all men who cheat because I want you guys to get, this is for the men who are in heterosexual relationships with women. And by the way, there's a Christian version of this book, if that is more where you're coming from. And it's called Out of the Doghouse, a relationship saving guide for men caught cheating. It is the most popular book I've written because men really want to understand, how do I make peace in this relationship? How do I? Now, that being said, you're 20 days sober. You've been going to program for 14 months and you're 20 days sober. Why in the world would this woman believe anything you say? You've been lying for a long time. You've been cheating for a long time. And when, by the way, when you say 20 days, do you think she, she no, believes that? So, um, I think until you get more time and you actively become a better person, which is who we become with time and program um, and therapy, you know, she will start. She may not believe anything that you say, but she'll believe that you're working on it. That you're taking care of each other, doing your best. Um, I, I, as far as not rocking the boat, I'm not sure what that means, except um, I, I, here's how I would agree to, with her. And this is in the in doghouse. Sorry, Tam, I interrupted. Which is simply to say, so um, I'm in a relationship with you and you've been lying to me for years and years. And you're an hour late coming home from the grocery store. There was traffic, there were lines, they didn't have what you wanted. It's all true, you were late. But you come home an hour late and you say, guess what, I got all the groceries and I stopped the dry cleaners and, and I'm sitting here as a partner tapping my foot. And you, know, you say, gee, what's the matter? I did all this stuff. and you say, yeah, right. Like you were really, you got the groceries this afternoon and then you went and acted out like you always used to when you were late. Every time you were late before you were cheating. So even if you didn't cheat that night, it doesn't matter because what your partner is saying is that they're used to a pattern that's very painful and you have to acknowledge that. Stop trying to you don't have to agree with, with what she said. You were acting out tonight. What you have to agree with is how she feels, which is, and I'll show you how it goes. I can only imagine how scary it is for you when I come home late. And even though that wasn't going on today and I'm working on my recovery, you, you, it may not be a good night. You may not want to talk to me. You may never believe me. And that's perfectly understandable. I get that you don't believe me. And I fully understand that. I'm not going to do anything to try to change your mind. That's the right answer. It isn't agreeing. Yes, you're right. It's I understand how you feel. And I absolutely understand why you feel this way. With, and I'm uh, one more thing. No defending. 
no defending. That sounds like, um, uh, what does defending sound like? I don't know what, you're always asking me that question. I don't know why we're going through this. You know, I'm not, you know, all that gaslighting, defending stuff and don't apologize. Oh, I'm so, so I didn't mean it. Yeah, you meant it. You meant to be a port addict. You meant to do what you wanted. Well, I didn't mean to hurt you, but you knew you were. <laughs> By the way, one more thing. Um, you've been an essay, which I think is great, but there are programs just for porn. And I think that there's a reason why they exist, which is some porn addicts don't relate to the people in sex addiction meetings because they're doing very different behavior. So I'm not saying that you should leave your program, but there's SPAA, I think, Sex and Porn yes. Addicts Anonymous. And there might be another one. I don't remember. There's PA and PAA. Yes. And I'll put the link for those resources on I, our. And uh, don't we have teach all, porn. I, I put that in there. Work groups for porn addiction. We also teach. Yeah. So you're going to have to rely on me. I write these courses. I'm involved with these courses. I train the people who teach these courses. You don't get this work anywhere else. Trust me. There's no one who educates. They do therapy. They support you. Go to the porn addiction class take a class then follow it up by the class on apologies but at 20 days you have a lot more work to do on yourself before you're ready to apologize in a meaningful way so um and i hope by the way you told her that you're 20 days sober i hope you told her that because even though she'll hate your guts at least there will be a difference every partner says i hate that i hate you but there's a part of me that thinks, well, I've never heard that before. They never came to me and told me. And there's something that shifts there um, for spouses when they realize that they don't have to make up reality anymore, that they're hearing it. And that can be very helpful. So I hope you told her um, in some healthy way. Yes, because I was doing the same thing 20 days out of 14 months and then all the time before that. So 20 days is truly the very beginning. And you haven't with like, yay for 20 days as a person in recovery, but, but you haven't shown that you can sustain that, you know, so, so I 100% agree. And I put the information, you know, on Seeking Integrity, Porn Addiction 101 starts. And if all the acting out has been pornography online not any physical contact that's the right fit we have a sex addiction 101 that starts on saturday so if there has been other um acting out behaviors that would be a better fit just leaving that to you um but you will have a three circle plan you will have solid foundation it, those are all live facilitated low cost you know work groups 90 minutes a week and you will have peer connections and and real help to get a foundation it's not a therapy or treatment and I, yeah, I want to add to that. You can go to all therapy in the world and go to 12-step programs, but, but learning, actually hearing people teach this information, not reading, but hearing objectively and having homework, I think can be, you know, that's why we set this up because we know it makes a difference. Okay, let's answer. I'm looking forward to the next one, actually. I'm reading your book right now. And my question is, and I'm assuming this is Sex Addiction 101, is there a stage someone can be caught in between at-risk and addict? Actually, this is something we wrote about Tammy in a number of books, and Jennifer Schneider, Dr. Schneider and I wrote about this, but I'm pretty sure it's in Sex Addiction 101. So let me explain the stages, um, and I'm going to talk about porn. It could be talking about going to a strip club. Um, it could be about, but I'll use it in terms of porn. The first um, stage is entertainment. You know, I like to look at a bit of porn. I like with the guys, I go to a strip club occasionally. 
I'm not married or my spouse knows about whatever that is. Um, you know, and it's just entertainment for me. It's fun once in a while. For me, going to Vegas, I take my $100, I win, I lose, I don't care, it's fun. Um, that's it for me. I'm not a compulsive gambler. So the first stage is entertainment. The second stage is at risk. And that means someone who, under difficult circumstances, can find themselves doing it a lot. In other words, my mother passed away, and I spent the last three months looking at porn every other day. Now, it may wane over time, but that tells me I'm at risk for ending up repeating this behavior to the point where it, it is really addictive. Um, and then there's addicts. You know, we start out early, we continue it until we're stopped, you know, all of that. Um, I will say this, though. I'm going to go back and tell a little story. I had a man in group once, um, group therapy years ago, who someone in the group said, do you think I should do this or do you think I should do that in group therapy? And this guy turned around, he said, you know, I don't think about whether I should go to work today. I don't think about whether I should eat today. I don't think about whether I should go on vacation next year. But I find as an addict that when I am questioning whether I should do something or shouldn't do something, it's probably something I should take a good look at because I'm already questioning myself. And so I say to you, with all due respect, if you're asking yourself this question and you're in this world that we live in, Tammy and I called addiction, I'm probably you're not at risk. You're asking yourself a meaningful question. And obviously there's some reason it's affecting your life. And you've shown up here. And trust me, most people do not want to show up here as wonderful as we are. The last thing I'll say is I ran a practice um, where I had a bunch of therapists and I did this work forever. And I honestly believe in all those years and all those people, I don't think a single person came in by accident. I do not think that I ever had a client who was just have a relationship problem or just a little too much porn. Everyone walked through that door because they had a meaningful problem. And I don't think you would be here asking this question unless there was a pretty meaningful problem. My guess. I posted in the chat, there's a self-assessment. You can go take a, you know, and that's a, you know, that's a spectrum. So you can, you know, if you score a three, that's very different than if you score a 12, you know, so I think that'll give you some indication of where you are scoring. And then the resources can be uh, applicable for where you are on that. And that's just a quick self screening. Like when the guys come to our treatment program, we do far more assessments, but, but it's a good indicator. Well, I want to add to this would be typical for Tammy to say, I don't know that by myself I can ever figure this stuff out because I've talked myself into a lot of things I shouldn't be doing. So I think what I don't hear is objectivity. You know, we talk about 12-step programs and therapy, but who is in your world who, when you say, this is how often I'm looking at porn, this is what I'm looking at, this is how long it takes, is there someone in your world who will tell you the truth? Is there someone in the world who will say, you know, that's, that's a problem because you can go see a professional who is skilled in this. T-A-M-I at SeekingIntegrity.com. We make a lot of referrals. We do not get kickbacks, but we know who the porn people are. We know who the experts are. And you could also, again, take the porn course, see if you belong there, if it makes sense to you, um, or sorry, take the sex addiction course. But I don't think that on our own, we're necessarily able to have the objectivity to make those decisions. And I can't tell you, because I've never met you. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know about your life, but there are people who can walk into their office and if you go to a lot of 12-step meetings, you will either hear yourself or will you say, I don't belong here. Um, but you have to go enough times to get that. So, Okay, the next one, 
thoughts on ability to have yet another disclosure without need for therapists here wanting thousands of dollars we don't have. Instead, having a CSAT review his formal disclosure that I have already responded with my emotional impact letter and then his emotional restitution letter that we both have already read and agreed to prior to his poly. Do you feel this should be enough to have uh, being we have financial restraints? Tammy, I don't fully understand. Oh, the I, I have so much like this is I'm going to be really careful in my response. Why okay, have yet another careful. disclosure? I am. Why? Why do this? If like this is just uh, you're on America. Why, why have one until there is really meaningful change? Um, I mean, you, you get to pick. Um, I just sent somebody a whole bunch of information because they were asking me about polygraph. It is a coin toss. The, you know, I, I did a lot of research on that. So I am I am very opposed to well, tell, basing tell your me, relation on them. that. Tell them what's a coin a coin toss. I don't think you articulated what's the coin coin toss. You're basing your relationship on the outcome of something that's likened to a coin toss. The, a polygraph measures stress, polygraph. not honesty. Yes, it, it measures stress, not honesty. You can absolutely do a DIY disclosure. My bigger concern is why, if this is another one you know, and you're going to keep doing it. And until why do one until the behaviors have stopped? You know, th th that's my biggest issue. Um, but Dr. Rob does a peer case consultation group with professionals weekly. The most talked about item across, I mean, almost every week, a professional brings a disclosure to the table for discussion. It to me is not a do-it-yourself thing. You absolutely, but everybody gets to pick their journey. You know, I do not, I, I don't think polygraphs, there's there's no protocol, there's no efficacy test, there's no research, there is no plan on how do you do this? Do you do it before the formal disclosure? Do you do it after? What do you, there's a whole bunch of questions that you cannot ethically ask and typically get asked, you know, even though the polygraph association, you know, says that they're unethical. So this whole thing is fraught with, I mean, I don't, have a plan because if he passes the polygraph and whatever, what is the plan? If he doesn't pass, I mean, are you going to believe it either way? And what is what are you really searching for with this disclosure if you've been doing this before? So, so this is sad to me yeah, because I, it feels like a merry-go-round of negativity. So, and money, and yeah. money. I don't think any see such. Well, I don't want to say it. Um, let me say this: um, what I don't hear. In here and I always look for what I don't hear as well. I do hear, I don't hear anything about your relationship. I don't hear that we're getting along well. We're really working on. We feel good about each other. We we're both moving forward. There's nothing other than this focus on this narrow piece, and that's sort of what I, I understand. Disclosure. I get you know the need the restitution letter, but recovery in a coupleship is so much bigger than that. In fact, I would rather have an incomplete disclosure and hear the truth going forward than I care about what happened before. And I know, believe me, every spouse wants to know what happened, what was my history, what have I been through? Absolutely. But that's about what do I not know and what have I not known about my relationship in order to go forward? Trust me, you know enough. 
you know enough. Unless there was something huge, like a rape or something really awful, you know what the general theme is, you know what they did, you know where they did it, you know the kind of thing they did. Um, I would be much more invested in, I need your honesty now. I need you to be honest with me going forward. I need to see you doing the right things for recovery. To me, nailing someone to the wall and trying to get the absolute truth from them is not where the healing begins. Um, the healing begins when, when I understand that there's a profound problem that we're both working on and we're committed to healing it. Um, so I, to me, this reads like, like a paragraph from a therapy book but it doesn't tell me anything about the two of you and what are your goals and how do you feel about each other and which is what matters to me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.